Hello, this is the Zeitgeist Lab Collections. My name is Alex. I'm Brian. And we are here with episode three. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. Had an interesting day. Um, supposed to start a new job, but then the client woke up with COVID-like symptoms. So, yeah, that's a another delay in that whole being employed process so so on twitter today you mentioned that um i I mean i don't know if you're comfortable talking on mic about this but what what exactly was the what is this client like what were you supposed to be doing okay yeah um so i was supposed to i got hired by this like company that takes care of people with like developmental disabilities and stuff that's what i was doing before the pandemic for a while and um like i did that for like about three 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 years um which is like that's where i started the fintuzler account was Mm -hmm. um at work when i was um a caretaker for a young man on the autism spectrum and i just got a job uh, a couple of weeks ago with with a different with a different company i don't know if they're a non-profit or not probably not but um and um yeah, they said you're going to meet your new client, which is like a young boy with autism. He needs help getting through online classes and getting through his day and blah, 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 blah. So you'd basically be his little caretaker. And then, and he lives with his mom who works from home. And um, I was supposed to meet them today. And then about an hour before I was starting to get ready, they called and said, hey, um, so the mom woke up with some COVID-like symptoms. She's like very overtired. So uh, we're going to have to delay the meet and greet thing. Oh, shit. So, yeah. Hopefully it's not like anything. Hopefully like the mom was just being paranoid. Yeah. But uh, I guess I'll find out in the coming days. But yeah, I was supposed to start a new job today. And I was so nervous and excited. And Yeah just yet another delay so well, fuck, that sucks yeah so did you end up getting high like you you predicted you were going to <laughs> yeah but much later much later I, yeah <laughs> not like as soon as i heard the news it's like okay well it's time to get high today <laughs> i yeah i was just i was just joking when i said like on twitter um yeah with my luck they're gonna call it new when i'm high as shit you know <laughs> Be like, hey, yeah, can you come in now? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> I'm paranoid that like so- something like that's gonna happen, where you know I'm getting too comfortable with like having all this free time. Yeah. This quarantine and stuff, and just you know, I can do whatever I want at whatever hour I want. I live alone. Who gives a shit? You know, right. that yeah. kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. Speaking of being able to do whatever you want, I believe in your free time uh, recently, you've taken up painting. Is that correct? I have. How's that journey been? Um, it's gone pretty good. We um, added a tier to the Patreon where if, I think if you sign up at the $10 level, you get a Fentuzler painting. That's right. Uh, so patreon.com slash Pod. At the $10 tier, after three months, we will send you a original Fentuzler painting. And I saw There's a lot today of I'm trying to advertising that you do tasteful nudes. <laughs> I literally <laughs> don't know how to paint actual things oh, okay. in places. 
So I, it's just all abstractness. How many do you would you say you have at this point? Um, like 20, 25, something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just started this year, so. Oh, wow. In so quarantine. You, you moved so, pretty fast then? Yeah, there's like some, like the cool thing about being poor and unemployed during the holiday season is that, and, uh, and just being a painter all of a sudden is everyone just gets a painting for Christmas. Okay. Well, that's instead that's of a true. gift. That's gotta that be pretty good then. Yeah. Like whether you like it or not, it better be hanging up the next time I'm there. Right. That's the thing. If you give, like, if you accept that from someone, not that anyone would ever refuse a gift, but you have to right. hang something like that up. Yeah. I get paranoid about that stuff too. Like, if people give me like a decoration or something, then the next time I know they're coming over, I'm like, oh shit, what was that thing that they gave us so I can make sure it's <laughs> displayed prominently, like it's my prized possession or something? <laughs> yeah. But in this case, I actually I don't really care. It's just mm-hmm. it's just more of like. I just want to get these paintings out of my apartment because they're taking up space. And yeah. Yeah. But like a lot of them are like half finished. So now I think I have to go back and make them somewhat presentable. Well, they're abstracts, right? Like how are they, how can you tell um, when an abstract is presentable or not? I don't know. I just like, that's just the word that like, that was just the first word that came to mind. But um, I don't know. It's like my process is like hard to, it's hard to explain, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I do a lot of shapes. Okay. A lot of shapes, a lot of lines, that kind of thing. Nice. But yeah, it's, it's styles like always evolving though, I've found. So. Well, maybe we'll get enough patrons that you run out of paintings and then you're trying to Hopefully. scramble to keep up. That's the end yeah. goal, right? <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, yeah. Should I, I got to tell you my Venmo story. Oh yeah, I told you I was gonna tell you off my or yeah, I told you off mic. I was gonna tell you on mic. All right, lay it on me. Um, so, I gave you seven dollars on Venmo the other day for uh, Pod Space, right? Uh, yeah, for our Podbean account for our contract with go. Spotify, essentially. That's what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then that was a couple of days ago. So yesterday morning, I woke up to a Venmo notification. I was like, oh, what the hell is this? And then it said some random lady's name paid you $10. Mm-hmm. And then I was, I was thinking, I was just half asleep thinking what? Okay, cool. Yeah. Except cause I, I didn't, I, I don't know anyone that owes me money, but, okay. but I was like, all right, $10 from some random person. Sure. Why not? And there was, there, there was in the line where it's, you know, says like what it's for. Yeah. It was just the boot emoji. Okay. So like I was I was like, half asleep, and I hit accept, you know, and just maybe went, you know, drifting back off to sleep or whatever. Mm-hmm. Didn't really think much of it. And then I was in the grocery store yesterday, like six seven hours later after that happened, and I get a notification saying, "Hey, can you send me that ten dollars back for the boots?" <laughs> what? And I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah fine <laughs> so someone just had the, the username wrong or something or? i think they typed in a, a username wrong because i don't know how else they could have found me huh and, you know yeah so i guess this person they bought some boots from someone <laughs> over venmo and just gave that money to me and then i 
didn't even respond to the message. I just gave it back and said nothing. Yeah. I didn't want to make a whole thing out of it. It's but yeah. you did the right thing, I guess. Yeah, it's... I definitely did the right thing eventually. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I mean, to just wake up and get $10 dropped on you with a boot emoji. <laughs> yeah, that was that was an interesting one. But uh, yeah, that's my little Venmo story. Nice. All right, well, let's start talking about what we're here to talk about, which this week we are talking about for my money, one of the best artists that uh, released anything on Drive Through Records, and that is the two releases from Hello Goodbye Metallica. Metallica, yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> that we're talking about the self-titled EP from Hello Goodbye, as well as their debut LP, Zombies, Aliens, Vampires, Dinosaurs. here to talk about and i think this episode is going to be a beast because this is these guys are one of my favorite bands from this era and uh, i'm excited like don't get me wrong i I really like finch and the river phoenix album was uh an interesting exploration but this is the first artist we're talking about from the label that i'm super excited to be talking about yeah same here honestly i'm in the same boat didn't really care for river phoenix was only kind of lukewarm on Finch going in, going out a lot better. Yeah. But yeah. This is like the first artist for me that I'm like, okay, I was like there when that came out, was into it from day one. So this is a band that you, you were into at the time. Yeah. I wasn't crazy about it, but like I knew all the hits and like, I knew that they were like sort of up and coming at the time. Like, they were getting some play on like MTV2, I think, at okay. the time. And they were, yeah, I, I remember they were just kind of always like on the verge of like breaking. And yeah, that's like when I was kind of aware of them. Um, Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn was like the first song I heard by them. And I can't remember where I heard that first. Yeah, I think that was the first one for me as well. It was, I think for me, like what got me started down, like recollecting all the, the drive through releases was uh, drive through put out a greatest hits record at the uh, end of their contract with MCA. And uh, it had this song, Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn, as well as probably Call and Return from Hello Goodbye on there. And so that was one of the first um, releases I picked up after that was the, the self-titled EP with the little avocado on it. And I mean, from front to back, I mean, not that that's very long, it's like six songs, but I thought this is like a really... I mean, it's hard, it's hard to call it groundbreaking because when I think about it, that's kind of weird to call it groundbreaking because it's just these kind of corny DIY <laughs> electro pop type songs. But I feel like it set the stage for a lot of things that would come later. And again, maybe oh, absolutely. I think maybe it was just right place, right time. Because I don't know how many of the artists that sounded in this vein later would actually even be able to point to Hello Goodbye as an influence. Yeah, I think they were very much ahead of their time with like, like by maybe like a year or two, like that's how close they were to like, what happened later with like electro pop, like, 
that had like sort of like an emo aesthetic to it. Well, and so that's interesting. You mentioned like electro pop with an emo stick. So the first thing that I thought of, because this was kind of the same era, was that Panic at the Disco was the next logical step if you were to move in that more emo direction, especially that first uh, album they did, A Fever You Can't Sweat Out, because it was very electronic, a lot of keyboards and synth and stuff, but more emo, basically, like you said. And I feel yeah, like, like the Hell of the Vibe came like... first. And then, yeah, that was, it was almost like, Add a whole like cringy theater kid aesthetic to yeah what Hello Goodbye is doing, and you get Panic at the Disco's first album pretty much. I mean, now that I mean, maybe based that's, that's on, gonna piss off some people, but like that is gonna piss off some people, and I think to further piss off at least some people that we know. <laughs> after you mention that, I'm wondering if I think that Panic at the Disco is actually just the combination of Hello Goodbye and My Chemical Romance, like if that's just oh, where okay. those two things meet because. You get the yeah. like the theater kid aesthetic and the costumes yep. and all of that, but then also kind of more of the electronic sound. Right. But um, yeah, the thing about Hello Goodbye is like they were somehow not too corny for me. Okay. At the time. But they were just corny enough for me to like not like dive too much in to like the discography and all that. Um, I mean, they're pretty corny. As someone who really loved, especially these two albums, I would say they're very corny. So it's shocking to hear that you would say that you didn't find them to be too corny. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like, I don't know. It was kind of too corny to the point, like, to the point where I wasn't willing to go all the way in on that band and like yeah. listen to them like every day and all that and like buy their merch or whatever. But um but yeah they were just like the right the perfect amount of corny for me like and then but like everything they influenced i think afterwards with that like sort of like emo kid like solo electric pop thing uh-huh. like um are you familiar with never shout never i feel like that was like a direct link after hello um, goodbye i'm not familiar with them no it's like it's just like some kid from like the south who was like who had like a hippie aesthetic later on but like was really jocking hello, hello goodbye okay or like their early electro pop kind of thing and there was like a whole wave of that that maybe our guest might be more well versed in than us hopefully because hopefully. yeah i think that is a point that is a point point in like this band's like lineage or the sound's lineage rather yeah I mean, so with, I mean, with that in mind, who would you say, I mean, if you would say anyone, who is the predecessor to Hello Goodbye? Like, what, what do you see in their music? Um, well, listening to the EP, especially, there, there's that like one eight and a half minute song on there, uh-huh. like in the middle of it, that sounds very Get Up Kids. Really? Yeah. And kind of, and like, had maybe like some Jimmy Eat World in there too. Hmm. Not, I'm not familiar with Get Up Kids work very much, but I I would say I'm pretty familiar with Jimmy at World, and I think maybe I missed any sort of Jimmy at World. Influence. It's just like in that that one like that one eight minute song had like a lot of like a lot of like the, the piano parts were kind of reminded me of like the Get Up Kids like second album ish. Huh. Um, the more like the, the more gu- guitar driven stuff, I guess. Yeah, and I think that. 
um, comparatively, like between the two releases, the EP and the full length, the EP was more guitar driven than um, by the time they got to the full length record here. Um, I mean, there's definitely some guitar parts on on Zombies, but not, uh, I don't feel like it's as prominent. Like the, the electronic part definitely becomes more prominent. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Um, I remember thinking that like the elect when listening to the LP, I sort of like I I heard them sort of deviate from the electro pop stuff in in kind of favor of like the more um, moody guitar pop kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of tracks early on that were like kind of a bummer because of like they were trying to go for something a little different like than the guitar driven stuff on the ep yeah it sounded like they were kind of trying to be like sort of like maybe more of an indie rock band with like moody guitar licks and stuff like that and i was like this is not this is not fun as like this is not as fun as like the embarrassing electro pop jams now speaking of the indie like having an indie rock feel did you listen to have you listened to the follow-up to the lp after they left drive through the um would it kill you album? Yeah. I saw them on the tour for that. Oh, really? Album. Yeah. Um, I thought that album was like really good. Like that's like a really good follow-up. Cause yeah, they kind of found like the first album kind of sees them trying to like expand their sound, but they're not entirely comfortable with it yet. It yeah. feels like mm-hmm. it's like when they try to break out of that electro pop mold, they kind of, sort of fall flat for me but would it kill you comes like at least a good five six seven years later i think because i'm out of high school by a couple of years at that point yeah i mean zombies the the full length we're talking about from drive through came out in 2006 it looks like and would it kill you wasn't until 2009 oh 2010 okay, yeah. actually so yeah, yeah it was over yeah. four years yeah, well, yeah, not a large, not as large a gap as I thought, but yeah, I was definitely out of high school by the time that one came out, and yeah, that was way more focused and like, um, like the dude really kind of perfected his like pop sensibility. I mean, the band had a lot of turnaround or turnover rather, but the band's always basically just been Forrest Klein doing his his songwriting right, yeah. and the electronic stuff or whatever he adds to, and then he's just kind of had supporting players. But to me. The band is is Forrest, basically. Yeah, I forgot his name is Forrest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, up until now, we've discussed one album um, per artist, and I I think we struggled to come up with a definitive theme for this collection, other than the artists or releases from Drive Through Records. So, to me, I thought we'd talk about, or we could examine both, because it's the only two releases that Hello Goodbye did for Drive Through, and one is an EP, but I think they're both pretty important and um, I think representative of that era. I mean, if you think about the label kind of uh, more or less going defunct after 2008, so this would be definitely in their in their later years when uh, the LP came out. And I feel like this is kind of what this label musically anyway what the label represented kind of towards the end is a more accessible 
pop-oriented sound. I mean, not to say that the other bands were like super pop, like Taylor Swift or something, but everything was more, you know, radio accessible, I think, by the time we get to the end of the label's run. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with um, anything from this era of drive through other than Hello Goodbye and I think maybe Halifax. Halifax. I mean, the early November was around the same time as well, which I know you've mentioned. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a little more accessible for sure. So a little more cleaned up. So I think you mentioned when these came out, you were in high school and maybe middle school. Um, when the EP no, when, came out, or no, I was, uh, in high school. Yeah, when both of these came out, two thousand four and two thousand six. Okay, so I was, I didn't listen to the EP until probably the end of two thousand five. So two thousand five, two thousand six, I was in college, um, which is a little bit different experience in terms of, I guess. To me, high school is where you see more, I guess you'd call them clicks. So I would be interested to know from someone who was in high school, was th- was this a band p- kids were talking about that people were into, or was this more of a niche thing? Um, like, did, did your group of friends enjoy it, or was it just kind of you? Or um, My high school wasn't as, like, clicky as okay. um, most high schools seem to have been um so i don't really know who was like like listening to this and who wasn't um all i know is that i was and i put a couple of these songs on mix cds for girls i had crushes on and stuff like that <laughs> nice um like that song oh it is love that was that was a staple for mm-hmm. mix cds for girls for sure um yeah um but yeah, I don't know. I was, I, I always kind of did my own thing when it came to like music. So like, I I wasn't always like, I didn't have a ton of friends that were on the same wavelength as me, like as far as like musical taste goes. Yeah. So, yeah, it was pretty ju- pretty much just me walking around with okay. with this in my headphones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the people that I did hang around with in high school, not high school, college, when this was around, they either hated it or if they got into it, it was because they knew that I liked it and that kind of introduced it to them. So, <laughs> which is not to say that I was a trendsetter at all. It's just, I was going to say, a big tastemaker on campus. No, not a big tastemaker at all. But um, <laughs> so, I mean, looking, I mean, let's look at the, the EP first, since that's, you know, chronologically the first one. What I mean, I think you've mentioned a few things, but what stands out to you from the EP uh, song-wise? Um, like this is actually a lot more well-rounded than I remember it being. Like sound-wise, like okay. like we were talking about the eight-minute-long song and like how that was like really guitar-driven is like an epic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like in the middle of the record for some reason. And there's like a lot of like soft piano keys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then that sort of like really juxtaposes it from um, like the really hyper like dance pop that they're that they kind of became known for. Like um, that Will You Go to the Prom With Me song. <laughs> yeah. Very, very nice. Very, very good. Yeah. And I think, uh, I mean, the band started because forest and at the time um i think he's was the keyboard player but jesse 
Kerbink were the main people that had started the band. They went to high school there. I literally think that that, uh, that prom song was written like it's actually just a prom invite that they recorded for whoever was asking to prom <laughs> and then it ended up on this record they ended up putting out. Nice. Um, I, I mean, looking at uh, looking at the track list for that one, it looks like the writing duties were split pretty evenly between uh, Forrest Klein and Jesse, um, which makes me wonder. I mean, I definitely think, I mean, we'll check here on the LP in a minute, but I think by the time we get to LP, it's pretty much all written by by Forrest. And then after that, Jesse and Marcus and Chris, the, the other members of the band left. So I just wonder if the, the EP kind of represents maybe the height of collaboration on the band before it just kind of turned into an, an extension of Forrest. I'd say so, yeah. Because, I mean, you, you mentioned some of like the more piano driven stuff. And so then I'm looking at like, you know, you've got Dear Jamie, that's the eight minute one, which was written by Forrest. And call and return, which is you know not super piano driven, but not as I would say um, rock oriented as some of the ones that Jesse wrote, such as Shimmy Shimmy Quarter Turn, which was written by both of them, or the Bonnie Taylor Shakedown, which is uh, you know more guitar oriented, uh, and then obviously the prom one is just insane. It kind of stands on its own. Okay, so for me, yeah, I don't think that there's a bad track among them i thought it was interesting when you have an ep to have two different versions of the same song to me that's just kind of lazy way of rounding out getting a six oh, yeah. song <laughs> yeah and that eight minute one i don't care for the fact that it's eight minutes because i feel like the last four or five minutes is just kind of those rain sound effects oh yeah it kind of like stops at like seven the seven minute mark and then it kind of becomes silent. And I, I always just skipped it. Yeah. <laughs> like when I got to that part, I was like, yeah, this, oh, okay. There's a minute left. I don't care. Right. For sure. But um, yeah. Um, actually, but like the first time I went back to it in preparation for this episode, like I listened to it and I like kind of looked down. And I was like, damn, this song's really long. And I was like, oh, it's eight minutes already. Yeah. But it kind of like, it kind of filled all the eight minutes though the way it needed to be like i felt like um it it, it didn't bother me that it was that long honestly i, I like because i thought like what they were doing was like genuinely interesting yeah i mean i think going back and revisiting now i would agree probably you know 15 especially years for ago. your first album or your, your first record rather like yeah. that was, i like seeing that ambition for sure i mean i think that's a good point i think and that's i think one thing that I don't know if it's just a nostalgia thing or just the way I view things, but I think a lot of the artists on drive through managed to achieve some pretty incredible things with their first releases and in some ways set the bar maybe too high to be exceeded later. Um, like we talked about Finch, their first record, I think maybe was like the high watermark for them. Hello, goodbye. These first two are kind of like their landmark ones, look like newfound glory nothing gold can stay is still seen as kind of like the gold standard for them by a lot of people. So I think um, Hello Goodbye is kind of along with the a lot of other artists on this label, able to be very ambitious right from the get go and, and make something long lasting when they're such a young age. Yeah. It kind of goes to show that like drive through really saw something in these bands too, if they were like putting out their best material 
like um, like or putting out their best material first and then yeah um yeah so going on to the full length what what tracks i mean what were your some of your favorite tracks from from this one um let's see i mean let's start with like the massive single here in your arms which may arguably be the biggest song that was ever released on drive through i believe it hit number 14 on the billboard hot uh or yeah hot 100 so really think, wow. yeah so i think <laughs> i don't i can't think of a song that uh, performed better on the charts for this record label yeah for sure what are your thoughts on um on the big one um that was probably yeah my one of my favorites on the album for sure um i remember that being a very big song when it came out yeah and like i think yeah thinking back on it more that was like a big song between my friend group for sure for for a time Uh um so yeah like um i'm trying to see what else is on the album um because i didn't really like the album as much as i liked the ep okay honestly like i thought um like like i said my criticisms earlier of it like having too many like moody guitar pop kind of indie rock ish kind of songs that were like sort of uncharacteristic for them okay given like how ambitious like their ep was when it came to like expanding their sound beyond the sort of electro pop thing um like dear jamie like um but but yeah there's still some like the electro pop like bangers are still bangers though like that's the so like I would keep like half the record probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean I to me I I think it's really solid. And again, this is like one of the after I started getting to these releases, I remember specifically being super excited for this one. I had ordered it like I had done a pre-order. I was checking the mail every day cuz it's supposed to get there like a few days before that the CD actually came out and I, I don't know to me the what the problem maybe the main problem I had with it was as someone who got really into Hello Goodbye the year or so before this most of these songs were available in some form elsewhere whether it was on the DVD that they released or just like a bunch of demos you could find on LimeWire or Kazaa or whatever so there wasn't really anything new and that to me was a little bit disappointing because they had just kind of taken a lot of songs and then perfected them in a studio. The, the ones that were new to me anyway were um, like oh it is love and baby it's fact which I thought those were those were really interesting ones like especially baby it's fact I remember <clears throat> I think it was uh, Stephanie the one of the owners of drive through when she was talking about being excited for this album to come out she said they had a song on it that sounded like Frank Sinatra which I've gathered over the years was this baby it's fact one which I mean I can see the comparison okay, yeah. that, that might be a little far-fetched but to me that was something that was different and and in a good way like i thought it was executed very well i can kind of hear sinatra singing those lyrics in that same sort of cadence for sure well not only that i think like some of the like the swooping um 
arrangement and kind of has like a big band feel like it feels like yeah it could have been written in a different era now obviously they recorded it in a way that made it sound very modern but like the, the melody and the arrangement could, could fit in somewhere else in time i think right but instead of coming out of frank sinatra it's coming out of some skinny nerd with glasses <laughs> yeah yes that makes um, me appreciate that song a lot more. Now that does you it? it? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I'm glad I brought that up because I actually feel like that is <laughs> one of my favorite ones from from the album. But the only one that I, I don't really care for was Figures A and B. I never I never got into that one. That was one that I had known before and was kind of disappointed when I saw that they had included that on there. But um, I guess like the top tier ones for me are like Hearing Your Arms, uh, home wrecker, all time lows, uh, two weeks in Hawaii, and then like baby, it's fact. And oh, I mean, it's hard because then I start just listing off like the whole album. But yeah, I really liked. I saw it on your keyboard a lot. That's a really good one too. Um. Yeah, and then oh, it is love. Like I said earlier, it was like a staple when it came to making mixtapes for girls or mixed CDs rather at that time. Yeah, um, that was like yeah that was a good example of this band kind of feeling more like a forest like solo project well and i think and it, i think this album basically was i believe most of these songs were just made and recorded by forest like looking at the credits here jesse and marcus don't even have a credit as playing anywhere on the album i know mm-hmm. jack antonoff um, who's on another drive-through band steel train later went on to be in fun he does guitar and mandolin in one of the songs oh really mm-hmm. i kept okay i kept confusing him with the guy from hello goodbye they both look very similar and like yeah i keep i keep mixing them up in my head and I'm like, i have to like remember forest is the hello goodbye guy and then yeah jack is the guy that writes songs for lana del rey now right yeah that's he's gotten into that world but yeah he played mandolin and guitar on one of these chris profeta he was the drummer for hello goodbye if i remember correctly the only drums he actually plays are when the full band comes in and oh it is love i think that's like the only live track like um the only track on the album that's not that has like actual instrumentation rather than electronic instrumentation Mm -hmm. so yeah this is a largely forest venture you can see that jesse helped write a few of the songs but doesn't appear to perform anywhere on it although they continue to perform as a band live yeah i when i saw them they played a bunch like a bunch of songs from this album they were like i remember oh it is love being like a really big high point of that show yeah i remember that as well i saw them uh the first time i saw them it was actually they were opening for um panic at the disco and the academy is and acceptance i think was the name of the other band oh okay yeah yeah i remember that that was that was a really good show and they they did really good and i saw them live a few other times after that they had a really good stage presence yeah for sure i saw them with um a band called fake problems i don't i don't don't know if you remember them Uh uh-uh they're like yeah that was a they were kind of not really big in the mid two thousands, but they were like more of a punk band at the time. Okay. Um, and then some dude who called himself Fences, who was just a kind of like boring singer songwriter shit. Interesting. So one thing I remember about Hello Goodbye is I wish I had 
I wish I could back this up with actual research, but if I remember correctly, I mean, obviously forest is very um, progressive, I guess would be the best way to put it. And I think one of their last tours that they did that came through Utah, like when they were kind of a bigger band, they were touring in a van that they had converted to run on like vegetable oil or something. No shit. Yeah. Huh. But maybe I'm just making that up. I know a couple bands did that and like made it a big deal. Um, I, I can't remember like what hardcore band was like really well known because they did that. Hmm. And then the other thing I remember is that they, for some reason, maybe this shouldn't surprise me, but they have like a really big following here in Utah at BYU. And you can see here that back in 2016, they performed a concert at the Wilkinson Center Ballroom on BYU campus. And I remember, because I've got some friends that are Mormon and attended BYU. And this was like, this was a big deal for a lot of people at BYU. And hmm. I don't, I don't, cool. I don't, I think it's, I think it's just like that corny kind of pop sound is really something that those type of people are into i guess which it's is big you know, with the mormons huh yeah i mean not, nothing wrong with that. that's what i was into obviously i spent like the last half hour talking about how amazing i think all these songs are but i just remember <laughs> that they were really big in, in the provo uh, area down where byu is hmm. all right should we get into some live recordings we've got here yeah okay let's start with uh, start with this one you, we'll start with the two you sent me so this is hello goodbye performing shimmy shimmy quarter turn looks like november 24th 2006 yeah i watched these in like chronological order and it's kind of like it's like you're watching a band just get sick of playing the song over and over again. okay <laughs> like like in this one they're so stoked but the next one they're just like they just kind of forgot how to play it. Yeah. <laughs> God, no one looks cool playing a keyboard. No, he tries really hard, but it's still yeah. failing. But no, no one can do it. They definitely look like they're enjoying it. Yeah, he always looks so awkward when he performs, though. Yeah. The drummer also doesn't look like he fits in with the rest of them. He looks too no, cool I was just for thinking them. the same thing. <laughs> I was always confused because the bass player always wore those headphones. I don't know if that's like a look he's going for or if he's actually just protecting his ears. I don't know. I think in 2005 or whenever this was, probably a look. Yeah, 2005, 2006. I mean, it yeah. could very well be. I don't know. I thought I always thought it was an interesting like that. I I remember thinking he was the, I guess the funny one in the band. You know, <laughs> you know what I just realized is um, like another, and this may get me in trouble with some people because I actually think this may have come after them. So I don't know if it would be who influenced the other, but I can kind of see a lot of Motion City soundtrack in some of these songs. Yeah, yeah, because they definitely because they both have the synth player. Um, I, I think they kind of coexisted at the same time. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know who influenced who there. 
Okay, so now we've got Hello Goodbye playing the same song in 2013. So basically a totally different band. Yeah. Even their whole look is like just way different. Oh, like, yeah. They look like you a can tell band they got or something. Yeah, you can tell they got money now. Do you like think the they have money? Weren't... I he always struck. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. So I saw the guy with sunglasses indoors, and I'm like, oh yeah, that guy's got money. I like that they're. I don't know why sunglasses in the indoors of... signifies well <laughs> yeah. to me, but it just does. I like that they're in the middle of a performance and they're trying to figure out like the piano tone and the guitar tone, like. Yeah, this video kind of made me sad because it's like, like I said, you're watching the evolution of a band getting sick of playing the song. Or just not being active for a while and forgetting how to play it. Yeah. It just doesn't sound as good. Uh, but I thought that I'd still be playing. Yeah. He even looks oh, yeah, tired could, singing it. Yeah, you could yeah, you could tell they're like exhausted and like just all the magic got sucked out of the song kind of. Yeah, I mean I think that's really interesting. I just don't know how I mean you can tell he doesn't want to play it, but it's like one of their hits. And I think you see that with a lot of bands. Like they're like, Oh yeah, we'll play this song again. But especially like with Hello Goodbye, by the time this was recorded in 2013, their sound had changed so much. I'm surprised they're like he's still willing to play this song at that point. Yeah. And like I'm and the, like this was probably one of the first songs they wrote too, right? I would imagine. I mean, it's on that first EP. It's, it strikes yeah. me as re- being a really early one. Yeah. So, yeah. So you'd think like I got maybe he like the guy was just like sort of better than it at that at that time. But I, but if it's like one of the first songs you wrote, you'd think you'd be you'd be kind of like, and it was successful too. You'd think you'd be like at least somewhat proud of it and just kind of willing to play it all the time, but. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not a songwriter. What do I know? Right. <laughs> I, I'm <laughs> in the same boat, basically. Okay, I've got a few uh, live ones to play. Let's go with... Uh, this is them playing Here in Your Arms at House of Blues. Which means hopefully the audio is decent because it's probably recorded at least semi-professionally. So... I mean, this was uploaded in 2013, but this is very clearly the original band, so I don't know when this was recorded for sure. That guy still doesn't know how to look cool playing the keyboard. <laughs> oh, he's even got the auto-tune on. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's skip to where it gets big. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right to the second verse. Right. And he still just looks so awkward. Are people trying song. to open up a circle pit? What is going on right there? Oh, I hope so. That'd be sick.
These songs do translate live a lot better than I thought they would. Especially when it was kind of like, not necessarily new, but like this kind of music and these kind of bands weren't really heavy with the synthesizers yeah. at the time. So like considering all that, it does sound pretty good live. Yeah, I think they they do it justice. Uh, okay, here we've got them playing Bonnie Taylor Shakedown at Warp Tour in 2006. Did you ever go to Warp Tour? I went to the Warp Tour twice and I hated it both times. What about you? Never been. Never been? Nah, I was never interested. All my friends went at one point and I just I was too much of like I was probably too cool at the time <laughs> for like a lot of a lot of the lineups. Yeah. And I was like there's like more than five bands I want to see. Maybe I'll go, but that never happened. There was never more than like five bands that I wanted to see. Yeah, I went in uh, 2006 and 2007, I think both years to see, I mean, basically Hello Goodbye and uh, Newfound Glory. So, mm-hmm. but it's like in Utah, it was always like the third week in July, which is literally like the hottest week of the year here. Oh, yeah. So they bring in a bottle of water and then they charge like $8 for Gatorades inside the gate. So it's like, it was insane and not enjoyable at all. Yeah, it makes you wonder why they don't do it anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Strange. <laughs> okay, here they are playing the song Bonnie Taylor Shakedown at Warp Tour in 06. The crowd control guy does not look like he's having fun. <laughs> Yeah, Jesse tries really hard to look cool behind that keyboard. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I was gonna say, I've like I've never been to a show where I've where the security or crowd control person has been into it, like ever. Yeah, that's like, a good point. <laughs> I've never seen a security guard at a show smile, regardless of like <laughs> what is playing behind him. Yeah, that's true. I'm sure. Yeah, like I, I, it's almost like they get paid to. Just, look tough right i mean you don't want to look like you're enjoying it because then that makes it look like you might be okay with whatever's going on in the crowd when yeah your job is to be a cop basically right (laughs) okay so next up i've got them playing baby it's fact on last call with carson daly if you remember that show at all oh my god yeah (laughs) hello goodbye I always hated that album title. Yeah, yeah, it's too long. Better than that. See, don't you hear the Sinatra thing? I do, yeah. And they brought like a full band for this performance too. There's horns and stuff. Yeah. Damn, yeah, they, they should have recorded it like this. Right? 
Is that Carson Daly's band on the horn? I don't know, maybe. I don't think Carson Daly had a band, though. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, his like, show was like, kind of, not DIY, but it looked like, it had like a DIY look to it. Like he was in a basement somewhere, a storage unit or something. Yeah, that's how it was at first. And then they tried to make him like another Conan or Leno, like in that kind of vein, like with the band and all that stuff. And then it just turned into like these little short form interviews. I just don't ever think they figured out what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Poor Carson. But I thought that was a really good performance. And oh, for there, sure, yeah. There is a performance of them, or a, yeah, a performance of them doing Hearing Your Arms, I think on Jay Leno, but I refuse to acknowledge anything from Jay Leno on this podcast. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, next I've got them playing Two Weeks in Hawaii in 2007. I bet there's going to be an ad. Oh, maybe not. He looks so weird when he plays the guitar. I don't know what it is. Yeah, he's just like a really awkward dude, I think. Yeah, no one in this band knows how to look cool playing. I think that's definitely one constant, with regardless of whoever is in this band at the time. I mean, the drummer always looks cool, but you're a drummer. No one ever sees you. Yeah. And then I thought I had... So when they were on Warped in either 2007 or 2006, they actually would sometimes perform under the name Hello Goodbye 182, and they would do a half-hour cover of Blink-182 songs. Oh. And here's them playing Damn It. At- yes. Yes, please. Oh, look how stupid he looks. <laughs> He was on the main vocals, though. That's Jesse, the guy behind the keyboards, usually. Oh, okay. Yeah, Jesse looks cooler with just the microphone. Yeah. So, yeah, they, uh, that was that. They also would, there's a few videos of them doing What's My Age Again as well, but, like, I believe they did, like, half-hour sets, maybe, like, once a week under the name. That's so too. <laughs> That is so sick. All right. Ready for covers? Yeah. Okay. Let's start with a group of girls playing a cover of Here in Your Arms. This is Maybe April from March of 2018. Oh, come on. Damn. That's really good guitar work. That's very tasteful, yeah. So we've got three three of them here, each of them playing a guitar. Which it seems like three guitars would be too many, but it sounds really good. No, like yeah, they they like one of them playing like the electronic part, I think. But it's some good harms too. Oh yeah, those are really good harmonies. Love those harms. 
It's like that band Haim or Haim or however you say that. Like the three sisters. That that band Haim or Haim. It's like those three sisters. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like that, but good. <laughs> Are you a big uh, fan of harmonies? The harms. Yeah. yeah Love me too. Harms. Oh hell yeah! All right, so to go along with uh, the acapella video we found last week, here is a group performing. Baby oh my god. A cappella. It's called the drastic group called Drastic Measures from Skidmore College. This is May of 09. Yeah, the there's fact so that many of them. Yeah, and the fact that there's like an a cappella version of this really lends like the whole Frank Sinatra comparison a lot of uh weight. Yeah. Da, 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 da. It's not even that good. <laughs> no. <laughs> I will say it's less embarrassing than the Taking Back Sunday one we watched last week. Well, I think yeah, the song is designed more for it than Cute Without the E. So yeah, it's yeah, it's not as very, it's not so much cringy as it is just ridiculous, I guess. Right. Okay. Next we have shimmy shimmy quarter turn if i recall correctly this appeared to be like a group of kids playing it in their high school gym but they're dressed like the music video oh if i recall correctly they don't start to like a minute into the video I love you, I hope you like it. looks like the band is called b fly crew b fly crew A little rough recording. But, uh, yeah, it's not the best recording. Oh yeah, this is all around terrible. I mean, they did a fine job. Nothing really remarkable about it. Yeah, I was I wasn't a fan of that one. That was uh, I mean, they're in high school. I think I'm assuming. It, it sure looks so. like, I hope they are. If they're not in high school, then it was just bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we've got a cover of Bonnie Taylor Shakedown. Um, this is uploaded from Jared Matthew in 2009. I'm going to turn up the volume. That looks like someone from 2009. Because <laughs> this looks like someone in their bedroom. It's like 3, 10 a.m. Okay, so they're working on this at 3 a.m. Anyway, um, I miss you so much. I, like, can't go to bed. I'm like, what do I do? What are they talking about? I they said, I miss you so much and I can't sleep. I don't know what to do. Oh my God. Is this someone's, like, vlog or something? I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm talking to the cat. No, you're fine. Even though ocean isn't what separates us. But if I say border, 
It just makes me think of the what? border. They just said something about the Mexican border, but I didn't understand it. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure they got some hot takes. <laughs> this is probably the video that Trump saw that made him decide to build a wall. <laughs> okay, here we yeah, go. Yeah, that really turned the light bulb on in his head. <laughs> right now. About that. He's, he was looking for Hello Goodbye covers and then found that and that, that radicalized him. <laughs> Oh, I love you, Sonny. Who, who's, who are they talking about? Someone named Sonny, I guess. <laughs> are you going to start singing? This is uncomfortable. So you know that you're never I just don't get why people would so upload the stuff to you. <laughs> I don't know why either. They're sending it directly to like whoever oh. they're talking about. It changed the words to my sunny lies over oh, the ocean. Oh, okay. Guessing sunny is like an estranged partner or something. I would, uh, yeah, I would imagine. All right, well, hopefully that uh, that worked out for, for them. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I don't know. If someone sent me that as a romantic gesture, I'd be pretty mad. You'd be mad? And then they put it on <laughs> YouTube for everyone to see? <laughs> okay, this is a cover of Oh, It Is Love from Elena Cannon. Canon, January of 2010. sweet yeah that was good i was looking at my cat the whole time she was singing that song i was like this is our little song yeah <laughs> hey i need to step away for a minute i just heard like a weird noise upstairs i'll be right back okay oh okay yeah hope everything's all right still recording am i supposed to keep talking alex is investigating something I don't know why I'm talking quieter. Hopefully this will get all edited out. But now it's just you and me, the listener. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. I've never had to like vamp like this before. So you're going to have to go easy on me unless this all gets edited out. I think we're still recording. I hope everything on Alex's end is okay. I'm a little worried. Then again, I don't know. They're in Utah, so they got standard ground laws, right? I don't know. I don't know anything about that state. So Alex says he's not Mormon, but do we think he's Mormon? 
do we think oh oh he's back okay i'm back oh were you uh, right. were you vamping without me i was yeah like for a little bit and i was like really awkward about it i was like <laughs> talking a little quieter and I'm not excited knowing to hear what you said <laughs> <laughs> so my son fell out of bed oh jeez! but he kept sleeping so like oh. right above me, the ceiling up here, his bedroom is right above that. And I heard this loud <laughs> thud in the middle of the cover. So I rushed up there and sure enough, he was on his floor, but he was still sleeping. So he actually has oh. told us that happens a lot. And I guess he's right. Cause I've never actually witnessed it, but he claims oh that God. all the time. <laughs> okay. I've got so one. Everything's okay. Yeah. I guess we'll see if he wakes up. <laughs> uh, so I've got one left here. We've got a cover of All Time Lows. was by a band called Afami at the DECC. Not sure what that was that actually is. pretty sick. Like, that was really good, I thought. Oh, it looks like this was in Duluth, Minnesota. Oh, that's kind of close to me. Uh, yeah, that was really good. I've never heard of Afami, I guess is how I pronounce that. It looks like they're on a, it's a semi-large concert. Like they've even got a subway sponsorship sign. Oh, it's a oh. battle of the bands, it looks like. Huh. Hopefully they won. Hopefully. All right. Yeah, that was actually really good. That was like way more pop punk. Yeah. Than the original I mean, song. Like they put a lot of a lot of energy into that one. Yeah. They, and they still had like the synth and the keyboard, but yeah, more yeah, energy. Yeah, kind of reminded me of Motion City soundtrack. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. What are I mean not that this out not that this episode hasn't already been long enough, but like what are are you a Motion City soundtrack fan or where did you follow? I was a guys? huge fan of that band, yeah. Like especially in high school. Yeah, I was very much into Motion City soundtrack. Never saw them live, though, unfortunately. Me either. That's, like, my biggest concert regret is that I never saw them live. So on their their last time in Utah, I wanted to go, but my wife was going to be out of town, and we had never seen them live. And so I said, okay, I won't go without you because she was going to be on a business trip. And then it turned out that was the last time they ever came to Utah. So super ah, bummer. <laughs> yeah, that I did not get a chance to see them. But uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember what yours said, but if you saw on Twitter, my Spotify end of year rap shows that The Future Freaks Me Out was my number one song for 2020 of all years. So, <laughs> and that is because my four year old is obsessed with that song. So we listen to it. It's like basically our family's theme song at this point. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like we'll That's watch funny. it on YouTube all the time. It's always playing in the car. Like I actually kind of hate that <laughs> song now. So, and you hate it now. It's just overplayed in my head, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My most played was Rascal by RMR. 
Okay, I don't. Th- those words don't mean Keep anything that- to me. All right, look. Okay, look that up. On, or let's get your genuine. Okay, no, I want to get your genuine reaction to "Rascal" by RMR on the pod. Rascal like, is R. R just like that. RMR, yeah. Like, I guess his name is Rumor. Rumor, but he spells it RMR. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what the hell am I? You've never, okay, you've never seen this? No, no. This is is this this top one the one I should watch? Yes, yes, absolutely. Okay. And just to be clear, this is your number one song for the year. Yeah, this is, yeah, unfortunately not a lot of people's, but it was definitely mine. (laughs) And Spotify is the main thing you use to listen to music? Yep. Okay. This is my most played song. I wake up and teardrops, they fall down like rain. You've never heard this before? No, no, absolutely not. This was like big, like three days before quarantine started. And then I think everyone forgot about it. This is not what I thought this was going to sound like based on what I saw yep, the video. Everyone says, yeah. Yeah, this is like the first and last good thing for our 20 points. <laughs> So apparently, he's oh, so like, that's actually really good. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like it's a brilliant piece of art, but apparently that's like a reinterpretation, like interpolation of a Rascal Flat song that oh, he's okay. singing. But he just changed the lyrics. Wait, which Rascal Flat song? Something about a dirt road, probably. Yeah, is that Rascal Flats? I think it's like Broken Road, or I I don't know. I don't know anything about that band, but huh? Yeah, he used that track as a reference point to make that song. So, what is the? I mean, what is the? What message are they trying to convey with this video? I don't know. It's uh, uh, I think just the, I think they're just trying to subvert people's expectations. You know, like you said, you thought this was probably going to be like a trap song or something. Uh, yeah, I but don't yeah, the whole know. thing is like that. It's just that piano loop and him singing over it. And they're always just pointing guns at the camera. Yep. Yep. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I think it's cool. That's yeah, that's super cool. I definitely <laughs> interesting. Like, is that what all of the is is it? So is Unfortunately, it, no. Not all of his music is like that. A lot of it's just more just mainstream kind of music, like trap, rap, pop, R and B kind of thing. Huh. Well, I was but he, he has that. another cool. song. He has he has another song where that he just he came out with that's. 3 a.m. by Matchbox 20, oh, but he shit. changed the lyrics to that. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's that one on top. On the top? Yeah, I think. Yeah, this is now an RMR podcast. It's got this is the Zeitgeist, right? Yeah, this is actually yeah. Surely there's got to be a connection between Hello Goodbye and this. Yeah, we'll have to figure that out later.
Yeah, he's definitely doing something different, that's for sure. Um, I'm trying to think if there's another song like that. Just trying to get to where he's actually performing. Yeah, he tries to make his stuff really artsy. Does he always wear the mask? Yep. So obviously he's not like this, like this video is not as like subversive no, as wow. the other one, but I think now he's trying to tell a story or something with his like music videos, but but I still think it's it's definitely jarring to see. I don't know, like when I think of bands with like the mask aesthetic or something like that. I think you know, obviously like Slipknot or Insane Clown Posse. So like when you see just the video with no audio and you see okay, these guys in masks, you think it's going to be some sort of like heavy rock song or something that you turn on and they're just playing Matchbox Twenty. It's it's a, yeah. it's an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition for sure. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, that was cool. Um, I've got yeah, nothing. Never heard that. No, I'm, that I'm like... not. I'm not cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that song came out like a week before like the virus, like dropped. I guess. Okay, the, the virus dropped. Like it was a yeah. an album release <laughs> or something. Yeah, it dropped the first week of March, <laughs> and then it's been number one all year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, final thoughts on our on Hello Goodbye, the two releases from Drive Through Records. Brian, what do you think? Um, I like the EP a lot more. Uh, I thought like every song on there was just a banger, but they kind of showed a lot of like potential. Um, kind of working with a couple of different styles, being kind of ambitious, and then the full length. Um, still had like they kind of doubled down on their electro pop and I thought that was cool. And when they I wish they would have stuck to that more on uh-huh. the on the full length. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, if we're just talking about those two, I mean, it's not not a bad not not a bad outing, but uh yeah, they'd eventually go on to make a lot more focused and more, I guess, grown-up music, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Too, I so I think these two, like the EP and the LP, I think are fucking sick. They're still two of my favorite things that I just put on if I like, have guilty pleasure or just want to dance around in my car or whatever. So I think like for me, I don't know if it's nostalgia or what, but these have held up very well. And I'm disappointed that even though after this, they did put out at least one other solid release, it was really downhill from here. And uh, so now we're going to turn our attention to our guest. Um, so stick around for that. Okay, welcome to the Zeitgeist Lab. Our guest, Marsden Ash. Marsden, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good tonight, Alex. I, uh, I appreciate you and Brian inviting me on. I'm 
you know, I'm excited to, uh, to see both of you guys starting this project. It's great. And I certainly did not expect it um, in any way. I was pretty surprised um, when you guys announced that you were going to be collaborating on a project, but it's, uh, you know, super cool to see that, you know, once more, this, you know, weird community that we're all a part of online has, you know, given birth to another creative outlet, Matt. Yes, if like, there aren't enough already. Wonderful to see. Yeah. yeah. No, but I mean, but but I mean, like that's what's so awesome about yeah. it is that like it is really rewarding to you know, especially when it's you know mutual friends that you know I I don't know how um you know I know where you live Brian but I know where you live Alex but uh, uh, if you guys are like close to one another uh, physically or not but suffice no, to say so. all right yeah no fair enough yeah, yeah. so. <laughs> Uh, suffice it to say in, uh, you know, in this period of time when a lot of us are kind of living in our own sort of small isolated worlds, it's like super cool to see, you know, two separate friends that I have online. Um, for sure. You know, yeah. <laughs> doing this thing. It's great. <laughs> well, thank you for the kind words. Uh, I really appreciate that. I mean, one of the main reasons that I wanted to do this was, I mean, a lot of things to talk about, obviously. I think it's been great to get to know Brian more, but an opportunity to talk to some of the friends I've made through... I mean, through the Blink-155 universe, frankly, I mean, I, we try hard not to mention it just because we want to do our own thing, but sure. I think it's hard to escape uh, that that's, you know, where what we're derived from. And I mean, you're a large part of that community and getting to know you through that has been one of the, for me, like top tier experiences I've had is just being part of this community. So thank you again for, for agreeing yeah. to be here with us. Hey, of course, absolutely. I mean, it has been a rewarding experience getting to know both of you through it as well. And and, and as you say, I mean, I, I don't want to um, dwell on a separate podcast excessively <laughs> in this, but but yeah, certainly, I mean, the shadow of their podcast looms kind of large. It is interesting how it has become kind of a, uh, uh, you know, a, a touchstone for a bunch of us. And it's been wonderful to see that that has you know, uh, allowed people coming from very different places physically, but also, you know, culturally and artistically and stuff to, to you know, get to know one another. So yeah. Absolutely. So before we get started, um, I refer to you specifically like online as the cheese pundit, because I actually yes. am a lot more interested <laughs> in your, your cheese takes than maybe necessarily uh, your takes on merchandise. So my wife, Same Daisy, <laughs> my wife, Daisy, actually asked, uh, she wanted to know if you could recommend, like, what is the best holiday cheese or christmas Ooh. cheese if that's a holiday you celebrate but like is there is there yeah. a holiday cheese yeah so i mean this is this is something that people hmm, takes on would vary um i i will start by saying that i think like a lot of things that one can develop any measure of expertise in it's sort of like there's this weird um uh, kind of weird like inverse bell graph where like the more that you learn about something initially the more recommendations and advice you feel like you have okay. until you get to a point where that drops <laughs> off and you yeah. like get to a point of knowledge where you're like this is 100% like subjective taste you know <laughs> and so like I, I'm definitely it, it's weird I found that even because I worked selling cheese for 10 years and mm -hmm. I definitely found like Damn. towards the end of it it almost got harder for me to like recommend Jesus to people um, because I felt that if someone asked, you know, about a particular cheese or what a particular one was like, I, I could go on for ages about it to them. I could tell them everything about it, but when it actually came to them being like, 
well, what ones do you like most? I'm kind of like, well, all of them, but for different <laughs> circumstances and for right. different reasons, you know? Sure, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, to not give a complete cop-out answer, um, one that I could point towards, I suppose, is that um, a particular Christmas specialty that we would sometimes make at my work from uh, Yorkshire in England originally, um, or sorry, why am I saying Yorkshire? The cousin of this cheese is from Yorkshire. This cheese okay. is not from Yorkshire. So okay. <laughs> nix that. Okay. Um, but a cheese from another less famous part of England, Stilton, um, okay. which of course most people know is like a fairly dry, crumbly, sharp blue cheese. Um, during Christmas time in some parts of England, people will uh, take Stilton, which comes as like a kind of tall cylinder, and either carve out part of it and fill it with port wine and leave it to pervade the cheese or to cut the wheel up into quarters or eighths and drop it in a vat of port to soak up for the course of the month. So we oh, actually wow. used to do that at my work. We'd like chop it up and leave it to soak. And so you end up with this kind of very like heady, intense tasting mixture of like that salty, sharp, earthy blue flavor, but also huh. like the intense kind of- That sounds uh, so good. Beauty sweetness, the one. Yeah, it's it's a very like very robust taste. Okay. <laughs> but pretty cool. And yeah, and I mean that that is of course traditionally a, a, a Christmas time dish. So. Okay. Well, you've heard it here first. This episode's coming yeah. out right before Christmas. So if you're listening to this, go out and find uh, whatever Marson just said. I don't know anything about cheese. <laughs> something with port is all I caught, but. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that recommendation's there. So Stilton, Stilton cheese with port. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So uh, back to kind of dwelling on the Blink One Fifty Five thing. Uh, I asked you to come to this episode to talk about your expertise in merchandise and maybe aesthetic. Um, I went back and listened to the Sclusi that you appeared on for them, where you were reviewing Blink One Eighty Two merchandise, uh, just to kind of remind myself of what uh i guess like where you derived uh quote-unquote authority on on these sorts of things um and self-declared so, right yeah sure which is fine so i guess the first question i would have is what what does why is this why does aesthetic matter in terms of because we're talking we're here to talk about covers like cover art from albums mm -hmm. what can like what do you try to learn from an aesthetic when you look at a cover art and do you feel like you can draw lines from that to what the sound should sound like or what it does end up sounding like? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I would say that the appearance of, you know, the cover art of an album uh, is, is massively consequential in a lot of ways. And it's funny to say that because I think that um, as much as I have a lot of conviction in that opinion, it's something that kind of took me a long time to come around to. And I think the reason why is that in a lot of respects, we're kind of taught uh, taught not to think that. I think we're encouraged to have this, um, you know, don't judge a book by its cover kind of attitude. And especially right. when it comes to art um, or, or, or to music as art, I think that we're kind of led to think that that's maybe like a wrongful or shallow way to interact with, the music and you know i i will say that it is fair to um you know to say that you should not necessarily like music or you know pretend to like music that you don't connect to just because you like the cover art or vice versa you know to 
you know, if, if you think that music is good and you think the cover art is bad, that shouldn't necessarily turn you off of it. But okay. um, all that being said, I think that for purely practical reasons, it is absolutely a reality that for a lot of us, um, what initially piques our interest in certain styles and genres of music is maybe a relationship to the art, simply because that is an often, uh, you know, a lot of cases what you see first. If you are young and, you know, going to see to your record stores and you're kind of browsing around and you're trying to find something that is new and different to, you know, uh, quench that, uh, that thirst for something that you haven't heard before, you're probably going to gravitate towards the stuff that looks cool to you. you know? okay. Yeah, and, for sure. Yeah. And so I think that I've kind of uh, increasingly given up on the pretense, um, to my mind, a pretense of thinking that there's anything wrong with judging a book by its cover or a record or a tape or anything else. And, you know, I think that that design and that aesthetic is, is important and that the practical purpose that it serves is, you know, a perfectly fine thing to pay attention to. Okay. So on, on that episode, when you talked to Josiah, you had mentioned one of your favorite pieces that you own is a, a shirt with the, the saccharine trust, uh, yes. logo, I guess that we have here, which was the cover art from a compilation tape they released, I believe you said in the eighties, is that correct? Yeah, it is. Um, and it's, uh, I, I mean, I absolutely love this piece of art. It is kind of their de facto logo. It, um, it is first appears as cover art on that compilation, but it does kind of um, crop up in the art of some of the earlier releases um, on the center label of, uh, of a record and also in the corner of another insert, I believe. Okay. Um, but it, it always really, really stuck out to me. I, it's a pretty striking image, I think, um, both from a purely visual perspective. I think that it is um, like on a gut level, it's viscerally striking. But I also think that on a level of symbolism, if you want to kind of get more head ass about it, there is a <laughs> lot to dig into um, in terms yeah. of the visual symbolism that's being played with here. Um, yeah. So I agree, like, yeah, there's a lot of visual symbolism. And um, for our listeners, it's like a snake kind of wrapped around a cross is, I guess, the best way I can describe it. It's like in the shape of an S. And we'll have like a link to this art on our, our Twitter feed for anyone who's interested. And so, yeah, like he said, a lot of visual symbolism. But looking at this logo, what does what can it tell you about, like, if you, like if you were me, who had never heard this band before I listened mm. to that episode, and I look at this and I think, okay, that's that's an interesting logo. But I also like I have what my wife describes as an everybody loves Raymond aesthetic. So I it's not <laughs> it's not necessarily my wheelhouse. So for someone who you might have, that's harsh. It is, but it's true. I, I mean, she's not wrong. So when you see this, what is this supposed to tell like a newcomer about this music? Like, what can we? What kind of conclusions can we draw from the music if all we see is this cover? Sure, uh, absolutely. So. I mean, the first thing, um, and I mean, this is this is kind of a combination of um, a visual clue and, and informed context clue, I guess. But um, the first thing that, you know, jumps out to me is this is uh, this. So this is a piece of art by Raymond Pettibone. And um, I guess I, I will include that because even though that might be considered like additional or secondary knowledge because Raymond Pettibone was like, especially at this time, 
um, and still is, I think, one of the foremost artists for a lot of early hardcore punk, especially, and mm-hmm. um, and for a lot of music making the transition to, you know, kind of like quote unquote alternative and college rock um, towards the mid and uh, late 80s. I think that at the time that this came out, um, it, it would have been immediately recognizable to anyone into that kind of music that it was art by him. Um, okay. So so that is the first piece of information. The fact that it is done by this prominent artist and, and especially a guy who is essentially the, um, like the house artist for SST Records um, who put out some Sacker and Trust stuff. Okay. Um, that, already is going to tell you um, some stuff in terms of being the same label that like Black Flag and, and Minutemen are, um, you know, any relationship to that world um, automatically says to me a few things in terms of having these deep connections to the, you know, roots of hardcore punk in the United States, but also being a label that was very uh, uncompromisingly uh, expressive of this DIY ethic, but also really uncompromising in their inclination to kind of release whatever they felt was, you know, exciting and pushing the boundaries of stuff. I mean, okay. it's always been fascinating to me that despite being maybe the archetypal um, punk record label, especially for that era, that a lot of what SST released is not what people would strictly consider punk music. Okay. Um, and so so all of that kind of comes along with, with um, you know, looking at it and saying, oh, this is a Raymond Pettibone um, uh, piece. And the, the second part that kind of comes along with it is knowing that although it is, at least to me, um, you know, immediately recognizable as a piece of his work it is also really um content wise very distinct from what he normally does um, okay. like stylistically it's within his wheelhouse the technique is recognizably his but the use of the symbolism here is very different he tends to do a lot of um black and white scenes that mostly center around human beings, um, either an individual and, you know, showcasing their thoughts in a speech bubble or, um, you know, multiple human beings interacting. Um, But the fact that this image has not just no human beings in it, but just an animal and a religious symbol um, and and no words, because that's another really big thing. A lot of people who are familiar with his art, um, even even if they're not super familiar with him as an artist, but they've maybe seen some Black Flag album covers or uh, Sonic Youth's Goo album cover was, was him as well, probably will recognize that a lot of his art has um, quite a lot of text in it. So okay. this one is pretty startlingly different in that respect. Um, so, I mean, t- to me, this, you know, conjures a feeling of, um, of boundaries being pushed, both okay. in terms of being on a record label that, that pushes boundaries and uh, the artist associated with that, but also that the very artist creating the work also seems to be sort of working outside of his usual wheelhouse. Um, you know, okay. all, all of which maybe points towards something a little bit different, a little bit more out there. Um, and then, I mean, the last thing, because um, I realize I'm giving a long answer to this. No, it's fine. So, <laughs> to put it more in brief, um, I think that it is hard to avoid the fact that there's some um, obvious implication of like religious imagery here. And sure. 
I think that if you had not heard the band, it would probably be fair to be a little bit unsure in terms of this evocation of religious imagery, whether they are a band that is going to have a, you know, a, a pro or anti-religious stance or, or a more agnostic one, because, you know, the imagery is decidedly religious, but at the same time seems somewhat blasphemous. I mean, right. the snake appears to be crucified. Um, and uh, since obviously the, imagery of snakes in Abrahamic religions is often associated more so with um, the devil or with evil. Um, his position on the crucifix obviously seems a bit, um, uh, it's like it's intended to be a, a negative of the usual uh, image of Christ uh, on the crucifix. Okay. Um, and, you know, I, I would say that if that were one's first inclination to look at it and be kind of unsure where they're going to fall, because the imagery, imagery seems sort of anti-religious, but also like deeply steeped in religious symbolism in a way that speaks maybe to um, knowledge or intimate relationship with religion. It maybe presents a confusing image. And truth be told, I think that that is also true of the band themselves. I still, okay. despite a lot of research, don't know whether the members are um, people who personally identify as being religious, but they certainly seem to express a, um, a kind of fraught back and forth relationship with religious ideas in their music. So. Well, I mean, I think if, you, if you're saying there's like a fraught back and forth, I think you can see that like in this artwork, because like you touched on like the snake Agreed, usually absolutely. represents like evil, the devil, the cross, usually Christ, the crucifixion. And then when you kind of combine the two, it's like, it's that dichotomy, like which it's like the, push and pull of uh, are we pro-religion are we anti-religion like you said there's not a clear answer looking at this this artwork especially because it's not it's not even just a, a simple um you know blasphemy in the sense of a reversal of imagery or roles but that particularly because the snake is crucified and we think of that as a, a position of um, it, you know, it's intended to be an empathetic position, you know, that we are witnessing the suffering of something in a way that, um, you know, it, it demonstrates a sacrifice on its part. So like, you know, if, if you are someone who is interested in and studies religious symbolism, which I am, I'm, um, that's a part of my historical study, like I'm very interested in um, symbolism of world religions and how that constitutes a major part of um, study of uh, historical primary sources. Okay. Um, and so like from that perspective, this is an image that really has to me like a lot to dig into. Like the well just goes deeper and deeper. Sure. You know? um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Okay, now that's that's a very like well thought out answer. And that I think that gives us a baseline of how, uh, how maybe you view like the aesthetic of things in general. So mm -hmm. that, that takes us to um, where we've got some cover uh, cover art from 10 records released by drive through records. Yes. And I have sent you this, these ahead of time and it sounds like you've taken some notes. So let's just kind of start to dig in. Yep. The first thing we have here is, um, oh, and just to clarify and explain to everyone, I've sent you these um, for your feedback or your analysis on what the aesthetic is trying to convey and what, you know, what you think the music may sound like based on all of this, this analysis. And then we're going to listen to parts of, you know, one of the songs from these records and see if it kind of matches what you expected. Right, because of course these are all, I have not heard any of these albums. Because right, you're far this... too cool for this label and these types of bands. So. <laughs> I, I think, it, 
on the contrary, I mean, I, I think it's um, it's it's a label that I think I definitely have always known the name of and been familiar yeah. with. And certainly even like the names of a lot of bands on this label, I'm quite familiar with. But I think that it's like, it's something that I've always known existed in a world like just slightly adjacent to the stuff that I grew up being into. Sure. Um, and so it's, it, I don't know, it's a weird mixture of um, unfamiliarity and familiarity. Um, okay. like, even just looking at some of these covers and being like, I feel like I've definitely seen this record or CD before, but like I've never heard any of it. So. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so the first one we got here is by a band uh, called Socratic. The album is called Lunch for the Sky. And I mean, it, it appears to be some little cartoon people. They remind me of like Lego people almost. And there's like, a yes, whole, absolutely. There's a whole crowd of them giving each other COVID if this is 2020. <laughs> they're, they're underneath, you know, uh, an illustrated sky with some uh, some clouds. So Marsden, what do you what do you see when you look at this? And what do you what context clues do you pick up on, I guess? Gotcha. So um, the first thing, it's, it's funny that you say that they look like Lego people too, because actually the first thing that um jumped out at me both in the sense of all these little kind of cartoonish looking people but also the overall design of the album cover was that for some reason it reminded me of um uh is it diary by sunny day real estate I oh yeah if that's the name of the album but the one with the like the, the little, little people, people toys yeah on the cover. Yep. yeah okay exactly for some reason it really really reminded me of that um and i mean especially you know same first letter of the band name and Granted, the Sunny Day Real Estate one is much more of a like closed in, um, maybe more uh, sparse scene. It looks very up close and they're quite obviously supposed to be the little people toys. Like they're mm -hmm. not just people done in a cartoonish style, but uh, you know, a drawing of a real life object that looks like a cartoon. Okay. Um, but despite obviously being a different subject matter like i'm assuming that these this crowd of people are not supposed to be toys but but just a crowd of people um, yeah it's i still would I'd say so taps into the same sort of aesthetic for me and, and and it's interesting that you obviously picked up on that too and that like they do kind of um have that i don't know there is a toy people since them. I don't know if that's just the shape of them or the repetitiveness that you know it's it's a great number of them who all look very similar but yeah uh-huh yeah, that's so that I mean, that was the first thing that jumped out to me. And then after that, I mean, um, the <laughs> the name Socratic, um, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of. Okay. I mean, obviously, the invocation, you know, I mean, I, I realize, you know, what the word means, of course. Um, right, sure. But in terms of the relationship of this album to Socrates, I mean, mm -hmm. I cannot really, I, I mean, <laughs> who can say, maybe I'm going to hear it and I'll find that there is a lot of evidence of, of classical philosophy in their music. But I, I, I would go <laughs> in on a limb and say that I kind of assumed that uh, like a lot of um, maybe like emo or post-hardcore adjacent bands of a certain era that the reference to a particular philosopher probably speaks more to um, aspirations of having read those yeah. particular yeah, works of philosophy sure. than okay. having, having actually done so. Yeah. Um, There's certainly like a spate of bands for a while who really seem to like to invoke the aesthetics of, uh, of, being well-read in philosophy for one reason or another, but yeah. probably most of them 
could not wholly back that up. Um, and even if they could, it probably wasn't actually as evident in their music as they maybe liked to yeah. present HSV, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, but. Okay, so if you had, like, based on yeah, that, if you had to guess, main, uh, like, what do you think? So we're going to listen to the song Lunch for the Sky, the title track. Like, what, what do you think this is going to, to sound like, maybe? Okay. So, I mean... Well, yeah, I, I will say that, like, my Sunny Day Real Estate was the first thing that jumped out just because the this that similarity to me in, in terms of the cover art. But in terms of that, it, you know, invocation of a philosophical background made me think more of the kind of uh, noodlier, scramsier side of, um, <laughs> uh, you know, a basement emo band vibe. So I, I feel like in my mind, I am imagining something that is sort of you know, halfway between Sunday Day Real Estate and uh, La Dispute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, All right, well, let's, yeah, take let's a give listen. it a listen, see where we're at. So what was your, your take on, on Lunch for the Sky by Socratic? Yeah, so um, like Brian said, uh, there is definitely a bit of Sunday Day real estate in there. And and I feel I, uh, I could have articulated it a little bit better, but I feel that I was not far off the mark with that in the sense that it definitely has... Um, maybe the sense not so much of sounding like Sunday Day real estate, but of sounding like a wave of bands that were ultimately probably fairly influenced by them. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that's, yeah. I think that's a little yeah, more accurate. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Luckily it didn't sound like a lot of speed. Yeah. <laughs> that <was a> bad. <laughs> yeah, no, it did not. Uh definitely I think the first guess was a little bit more on the mark. <laughs> okay. All right, nice. So the next one we have here is the album We Can Breathe Under Alcohol by the band N Angle. So Marsden, what are, what are your first thoughts upon seeing this one? This one, for some reason, really made me think of a certain era of like CanCon, power pop, indie band sort of vibes. I was going to say, like, like power pop, yeah. Absolutely. If, like if somebody told me that this was a new pornographer's album, I okay. would be like, yeah, yeah okay. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. You know, like it, it definitely has a sort of... Um, I don't know, uh, chipper sort of energy to it um, <laughs> in, in that respect. And I mean, even, um, you know, even the the title of the album makes me think of new pornographers too. I think okay. um, I'm trying to remember, I never got super into that band, but I feel like they had a, I think the name of the song is, um, this is my slow descent into alcoholism. I can't remember, but like these, 
um, these these both seem like a similar kind of um, snarky gloss of uh, <laughs> of alcohol addiction, maybe. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Let's check this song out then. Yeah, um, hit it. Uh, okay, so this is Green Water by the band and Angle from We Can Breathe Under Alcohol. Let me got this nice little intro in their music. The musical career is killing. Oh, yeah, this. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, this sounds exactly like what it looks like. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, 100%. The vocals sound kind of like uh, Connor Oberst. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I can see Wilco too. So I'd say you it, nailed that one. Like you were pretty much spot on 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 picking up that all those vibes. <laughs> yeah, to, to my earlier thesis about the importance of cover art, I would say that uh, if I was a teenager picking out records or CDs at the store, and I was uh, trying to grab the one that looked cool to me, yeah, if this was the one that jumped out at me and I bought it, I would be very satisfied with getting home and being like, I got exactly what I paid for with for this sure. art. <laughs> like this looks exactly like what I chose. So I remember, cause like when I got into, uh, like back in 05 or 06, I started collecting all the drive-through ones. And so like, okay. yeah, I was a kid in college, so I couldn't buy all the ones I wanted at once, but I would go online yeah. and I'd look at the different cover arts or I'd see them in Best Buy or whatever. I remember looking at this and like, Oh yeah, that's the next one I want because I think that one's gonna be cool. But I like I can't. Yeah. I don't know why I think that. Right? I just see that. I'm like, yeah, I think this one's gonna be cool because I like this cover. It just feels right for whatever reason. And and I found that you know again, people want to be critical of that outlook, but I have so often found it to be the case that you know the the records is that. J- had art that jumped out at me the most are the ones that I ended up like sticking with and enjoying the most. And for sure, you know, I think that, I think there's a validity to that, even just from the perspective that maybe the significance of art standing out to us is that it suggests a, you know, a similarity of touchstones in that, like, maybe that band has a level of common interest or um, aesthetic taste to you that will speak to the music they make as well as the, visual art that they employ for sure okay all right so i'm getting this now you're really good at this is basically what i'm learning like <laughs> and you're, okay all right so moving on to the next one uh next we have a, a band called the rx bandits and this is an album called the resignation so kind of going along with what i said before the, the last one we looked at an angle and even the first one socratic were both covers that i saw in the stores and i was like yeah i'm gonna love this record this this is like i know this is what i want to listen to despite the fact that i'm pretty sure i hadn't heard either band before i picked up the albums this is okay. one that i look at the the album i was like i don't like this is one i picked up later because like i don't think i'm gonna like this this doesn't seem like my sort of thing but in the end i actually really did like this album uh, what what do you see when you see this it's funny you say that actually, because this one um, is one of the ones that jumped out at me as feeling more, um, not necessarily that it looks like something that I would like, but that it looks, 
it looks more like things that look like what I would like. Okay. <laughs> makes sense. You know, it's, it's like, I can tell that it's like a, like a closer degree of separation, at least the art um, to, to some stuff that I'm into. Um, mostly that like the use of kind of like body horror imagery and of, you know, like a bit of collage work is, you know, um, as, as, I'm sure that you know, Brian definitely knows because we've talked about it. I'm a big fan of a lot of death metal. Um, and so this is, this feels kind of death metal adjacent artistically. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to bring that out. up too. Yeah, that's like, a, all that's missing is like an illegible band logo. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. When I say that it feels like one or two degrees of separation from stuff that I'm super into, it, it really does seem like if you like tweaked a couple things on here, it would definitely just you know look like the the art of the kind of stuff that i collect um but uh without tweaking those few things i feel like it looks to me a lot more like um somewhere between um like the used and converge at the same time Uh, (laughs) yeah which is actually kind of like what i'm assuming musically that that it's like you know maybe kind of that middle ground between like the the noodlier side of of heavy emo music like converge um but maybe also with like a little bit of the um i don't even really know how to describe what i think the used sound like as a band (laughs) that i've probably like heard of like i know that that was a band that kids listened to a lot when i was in junior high and i Uh definitely like had someone pass me the one earbud when you would like back in the day when you would still like share an earbud with the kid you were sitting next to yeah <laughs> um and i definitely remember hearing them and being like yeah this sounds kind of like stuff that i like um, yeah okay which is what i imagine this is going to sound like also all right let's take a look <laughs> this is the song decrescendo from the resignation sounds like to me i feel like i wasn't entirely far off because the kind of uh staccato instrumentation at the beginning uh-huh. is a bit of that kind of like white belt convergingness and this okay. definitely feels like okay yeah a little very bit. yeah like this uh yeah not so much in the sense that it sounds like converge in the sense you could mistake them but that like right. it sounds like a band that could theoretically have been like the opener for them at a like a community hall show okay um, yeah. but, but what it what it really sounds like to me though is uh did you ever play that game uh burnout the like car racing <laughs> game yeah, yeah. everything with a burnout soundtrack too. Yeah, it really sounds like like burnout soundtrack. Okay. <laughs> it definitely has that vibe. <laughs> uh, do the horns surprise you? Is it surprising that it's a like a, a ska band essentially? I mean, it's it, at this point they were definitely more of a, a heavier rock band, but they still had horns. I will definitely say that that threw me for a bit of a loop because when it, uh, I think even just now when I said that it felt like it had a bit of that like white belt uh i apologize for the term but like spaz core kind of sound okay really i meant that just in regards to the intro because as soon as the horns 
and vocals kicked in, it, it definitely felt like it went in a very different direction than that. I mean, the vocals still had a bit of that um, white beltiness to them. Um, yeah. Like, like the clean white belt singer, but the, the horns are uh, um, unanticipated. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You so know next... what that really sounds like the burnout soundtrack, though? It's pop. Mm. Pop? Yes. Canadian band. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could definitely see like smashing a car to, um, you know, that song fading into a pop yeah. song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm crazy for that, but like, because I, I said it in like a, in a pejorative way. Okay. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I feel like you're right. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm not wrong. It sounds like the Burnout soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, there was some good stuff on those games. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, whether you mean it pejoratively or not, it's just accurate. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, this I'm I'm excited to get onto this one. This one I had a lot to say about. Firstly, okay. that like that's like I didn't I didn't actually look to to clarify whether or not this is the case. But my first reaction looking at this was that I was like, "That's the Smashing Pumpkins, baby." <laughs> oh, I didn't like this. <laughs> This really looks like that cover to me. Is that Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness? I think. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. The same sort of, yeah, artistic yeah. style with the face. That's a really so, cool Cambria font, though. So before we get too yeah. far on this, just for the listeners, we are talking about Steel Train, Twilight Tales from the Prairies of the Sun, um, and I'm kind of hoping to stump you with this one, but I don't actually know what this aesthetic might say. So maybe you'll once again kind of nail it. But yeah, here's the. Is this the cover you're talking about, Marston? Okay, yeah, yeah. She's not even a baby. No, it's um, not a baby, but the so face is very similar. Along, but like, yeah, it has like the between the font and the kind of like cherubic imagery, and then the planets. They both have a similar vibe. But to me, um, aside from reminding me of that one, this also kind of gave me sort of. Um, the energy of like do you guys remember when like i i don't know i feel like uh like steampunk aesthetics played a much bigger role in indie music at one point in time yeah absolutely um, yeah. i feel like everyone has like retconned the fact that everyone liked that aesthetic at one point in time and everyone <laughs> likes to like just shit on steampunk stuff but like there was yeah. a solid time where like like neutral hotel arcade fire all of those bands had an aesthetic that was like really well, not yeah, even a full step that. away from steampunk. Yeah, for sure. Even like I can't say I was ever into that aesthetic at all, but but yeah, totally a lot fair. of people did. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially because like a lot of people who like sure probably were not into steampunk in the sense of like being someone who modifies a keyboard to have gears on it, but like they <laughs> still were putting out records that had like you know, like a dirigible on the cover or like an astrolabe or, or something. And like this, to me, that especially combined with like the name Steel Train, um, it, it has a very, <laughs> like there is there is some steam power happening. Um, these aesthetics okay. for sure. Yeah. What do you make of, because to me, the one on the right, uh, with mm. the heart and i think this i don't know if this was the back cover this is obviously from poster but this okay, artwork I was gonna ask you. it appeared somewhere in on the cover like either the inside cover or the liner notes but maybe the back cover but to me this seems much like markedly different than the cover uh with the like the baby face sun thing like yeah 
I mean, honestly, to, to me, it like it, the content is much different, but I feel like it fits into the same kind of like artistic wheelhouse of uh, like a combination of steampunk aesthetics and like uh, like Quebecois film festival, like like bric-a-brac animation <laughs> okay. imagery. Um, I, I mean, unless you're someone who like grew up watching francophone animation mm -hmm. from French speaking Canada, you probably don't know what I'm speaking to. <laughs> no, but like <laughs> for anybody who grew up uh, with with any even like passing familiarity with with uh, Quebecois animation you probably know exactly what I'm talking about when I say that like these, this imagery looks very, um, very much like uh, Montreal Film Festival. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, so are we ready to listen to it? Yeah, I, I am imagining it having accordions and hurdy-gurdy. Okay, <laughs> okay. All right, this is the song Better Love from Steel Train. Yeah, so far this sounds like steel train. <laughs> Will you wake the love that sleeps oh. inside? Dream that she had never died. Wipe that tear, but you don't know why. Boy, you're pretty, but you're just not for me. If that love I do not see. I feel like I correctly picked up on the aesthetic clues here but ultimately came to the wrong conclusion based on those clues okay i, I imagined it sounding a little bit more um like jaunty or pirate shanty-ish and okay. a little bit more like uh yeah like accordion sea shanty kind of energy but okay. <laughs> Yeah, like I imagined a little bit of that, but I, I, I would still say that like ultimately the fact that these aesthetic cues that I identified point towards this is uh, like, I don't, I don't think differently about the way that I assessed this aesthetic, if that okay. makes sense. <laughs> okay. Um, because I think that that music still like fits the Francophone Film Festival vibe. Yeah, okay. You're selecting <laughs> the assessment of the cover for sure. Uh, but yeah that wasn't what i thought it would sound like either okay. no i'm a little bit surprised yeah <laughs> i thought i might get you with that one uh okay all right so next we have the band halifax this is their i believe 2006 release the inevitability of a strange world this one also um is like very can conish to me in a way that is kind of hard for me to fully put my my thumb on okay and i realized that especially because i'm talking to two inhabitants of the united states that uh you probably cannot help me with that right but there is <laughs> there is even aside from the fact that the name is of a canadian city there is yeah. something very canadian about this art to me um and also there's there's definitely a kind of um like a fringe festival sort of energy going on here and also it is very I think more so even than either of those two points. This one really looks very like board game cafe to me. Okay, yeah, I, I can see that. 
like I think that if you replaced this text, if if you did this same image in in chalkboard paint and replaced oh. the text with like menu items, I would <laughs> yeah. be like, yeah, you know. Okay, I can see that for sure. That's a, a really good point. That's um, a new that's a new aesthetic for me. Board game cafe. <laughs> I haven't heard that before, but I like it. When when the pandemic's over, look look in the window, or or I mean, even you know, if it's nighttime, gaze gaze in the window of a board game cafe, and you're gonna be like, oh yeah, that album. It's funny, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what do you make of? So on the back here, we have the like a black skull, and then on the actual CD, we have a skull. This I feel like this. What does this? Does the skull tell us anything about like the aesthetic or possibly the music? I think maybe in I think it it does, um, but maybe in the sense of telling us that they um, want to communicate something about the music that I suspect will not be true, um, being that you know skulls and images of death generally often communicate a sort of uh, gravity or darkness that I have a strong inclination to believe that this music lacks. Okay, but that the people making it are probably convinced that it um, it has every measure of that um like grim serious darkness about it okay um that i do not believe will be the case <laughs> okay <laughs> all right so what do you think will be uh the case when we, we go to play this one um post hardcore that the band thinks is heavy but which is not heavy <laughs> okay all right so this is nightmare by halifax yeah so far uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean i can imagine they think this is like the hardest song they could possibly write or something like <laughs> okay yeah yeah i feel i feel very good about yeah that. i so think you nailed it yeah <laughs> i will i will add to it though that these riffs sound to me very um the riffs are very like like japanese video game battle okay. to me um, there's like a very specific style of like crunchy metal inspired riffing that I very specifically associate with like like Devil May Cry or okay. like, you know, games <laughs> like that that is like I'm really picking up from this yeah no like, I, again I think you never I especially enjoyed when you like flat out said it's like the whole idea is they think this is like a really heavy yes. rocky song and it's like no and like when this came out I was like 19 i was like yeah this is so heavy or whatever because this is not like i don't come from a world where anything heavier than this is something i would listen to but when i listened to this back there i was like oh my god this is such like a little lightweight song like this is it's like a, it's nothing essentially like but, but that's that's like a 100 percent real and legitimate thing though like there's definitely stuff that i've listened to that i remember hearing it for the first time and thinking that it was like like crushingly heavy and gruesome sounding to the degree that it was like uncomfortable to listen to and that i was yeah. like oh, i don't like how this makes me feel uh -huh. and i listen to it now and i'm like why did i ever think that <laughs> right <laughs> exactly like, yeah. yeah that's yeah. basically because i didn't like this album in like I, I liked a few of the songs but i remember thinking like oh that's too heavy for me and now i'm listening like <laughs> what the fuck like this is not heavy at all like no, it's really not. <laughs> okay all right the next one this is if if everything goes according to plan, this is the album that we talked about on the main episode here. This is by a band called Hello Goodbye, Zombies, Aliens, Vampires, Dinosaurs. And just to give you a little bit more context, the reason this cover is mainly 
just like a sketch is the idea was you were supposed to take out the liner notes and color it yourself. Oh, oh. all right. Cool. That's, that is charming. And it's <laughs> a very yeah. 2005 move too. Very 2005 move. And, and, and to that point, Brian, I literally what I was going to say is that I feel that this album art looks like every CD of every band that was on the same bill as a different band that I was going to see circa okay. like 2005 <laughs> to 2008. Like this, this really has the aesthetics to me of like showing up to uh, like a community center way too early because I'm, I'm 13 or 14 yeah. and I like have to take the bus there and I overestimate how long it's going to take and I get there <laughs> and it's like two hours early. So I'm just kind of like, trying to keep busy by looking at what's on the merch table or something and like this is this is what the band who for some reason has set up their merch three hours before anyone is going to play they have this they have a, a lot of this cd they're like a lot of copies of it and they're not in they're not in plastic jewel cases like they're just in that plastic slip oh yeah not even uh, the fold-out one but like like, a, like the, the cardboard the one, one that's that just like yeah yeah there's just like an envelope basically yeah like, uh -huh. that's that's they would have like a an absolutely massive stack of them there. Okay. Um, and they don't sell any of them that night. It's like to me, that's the aesthetic of this. The name, uh, especially the like zombies, aliens, vampires, dinosaurs, is very because I mean that also is like the name of every band that you stood outside during that was opening for the band yeah. in that era. It was like, you know, like. Rainbow Unicorn Spaz, like, it's, you know, like, Robot Shark Fight kind of energy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So four of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, what do you think? What is this going to sound like? That's a little bit hard for me to answer because okay. it sounds like things that I can identify, <laughs> but that I've never heard. Um, okay. Like I, like I know, looking at this, that I like it, this must sound like that is the am i correct in thinking the name is robots versus sharks that's a band right i that I sounds mean, familiar I, i'm pretty bear, sure that's a band bear versus shark that's a band maybe maybe it's it's something like that i suffice it to say i have not heard that band but i know by looking at this that it sounds like that <laughs> okay <laughs> like i know it sounds like something i've never heard <laughs> okay so the first time i saw this band they were definitely opening for like five other bands um yeah. <laughs> interestingly enough this song that we're gonna listen to from the album hearing your arms is probably the most successful song that drive through records ever put out it reached number 14 on the hot 100 and uh Let's give it a listen here. I'm imagining like post-hardcore with a synth player. Yeah. Damn you. I like where we are when we drive in your car. I like where we are. Assuming that a heavy part's about to kick in. At the chorus, I mean, I wouldn't call any of it heavy, but it gets yeah, opens a, up. a heavy, yeah. <laughs> heavy part in yeah. air quotes, yeah. right? Yeah. This, I mean, like, assuming that that happens, this is definitely like. See if I can get. But I was imagining the bands that I've never heard to sound like. Yeah, yeah, like I want to hear the I want to hear the uh, quote unquote heavy part. 
Yeah, yeah, this is exactly what I thought, yeah. <laughs> you nailed the synth, the synth part, too, so... <laughs> I'm glad that I managed to get that in just right, before... Yeah, just before we started playing it. You're like, oh, and also there's going to be a synth. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. It just came to me. I knew somehow. Yeah, it sounded exactly like something you've never heard before, yet you knew exactly what it would sound like. Yeah, I mean, truthfully, like, I... I'm not, I mean, I'm not going to go listen to whatever versus shark it is, but like, right. <laughs> I do still have a conviction that like, that's very probably what it sounds like. And okay. it would be hard to convince me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Up next we have, I am the avalanche, their self-titled uh, album. And here, here we have the artwork, uh, Marsden. What do you think? So I actually, I, I, I'm into this cover art, um, although I don't know if I'm necessarily into what I think that it says about the band. Um, okay. And, and what I mean by that is that, like, this, obviously they're going for a, like, um, a, like, 1940s radio play on record sort of aesthetic here. Um, uh, it's yeah. definitely got a little bit of a, like, you know, um, radio adaptation, but eerie comics or, you know... Um, like uh comic like comics code era horror compilation stories like early uh you know uh you know tales of horror tales from yeah, the crypt absolutely. kind of stuff like all, all of that sort of like uh you know mid-century pulp horror aesthetic is obviously a point of reference here um you know, and up top, a unique stereophonic experience, you know, it's, it's definitely like invoking a, a deliberate sort of retro aesthetic. Um, okay. And why I say that I, I like it, but I don't necessarily know if I like what it tells me is that it has largely been my experience that um, as someone who's like very much a lover of the aesthetics of that era, um, I find that more often than not, artists and, and musicians especially that are like consciously referential to that era um tend to not be to my taste okay um so. and and i think tend to make me feel very alienated because i it, it's usually stuff that i think is disagreeable and then i feel upset and confused because i'm like <laughs> clearly these people like the same aesthetic reference points as me okay. but i don't like what they're doing and what does that say about me you know? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um but in in terms of the sound um I'm trying to see what else I, I i wrote down here um oh yeah yeah i i said um, <laughs> i said probably uh more generic post-hardcore on i said the softer more musical side um, okay. which is to say like bands that i think maybe strained the definition of post-hardcore by not having any like rawness or heaviness or aggressiveness okay <laughs> if that makes sense yeah that does okay this is song dead and gone by i am the avalanche This guitar tone is exactly what I imagined. As is this progression. <laughs> At the bottom of the swimming pool, I think 
you know, I didn't want to uh, jump the gun before the vocals came in by okay. saying that I actually like this more than I thought that I was going to. Okay. Um, but I like this more than I thought that I was going to. Okay, good. Um, th this, this to me sounds very much just like the same. Um, and I guess I wouldn't necessarily say that my assessment was wrong. But this very much sounds to me just like the same like school of the eventual development of post-hardcore that gave birth to like no means no and and, okay, yeah. and that kind of stuff you mm -hmm. know? um which is all like a style of music that is closely adjacent to, to stuff that i'm into and i think is stuff that i would not necessarily buy or listen to if i was at home but the, like yeah. if i was somewhere and uh, the band was playing i would stick around to, to listen to it and okay. you know and i would have a good time it, it i feel like this is just the kind of music that um it sounds like they heard the minutemen who are a band that i i love and band, yeah. took took a took a completely different thing out of the minutemen than is what i like about the minutemen but that that doesn't necessarily mean that i don't like what they they made you know okay. like yeah. if i were making a minutemen influence band i would be branching in a completely different direction but i still like see and appreciate where they're going and and where they came from and and i can vibe with that Gotcha. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, pleasant, pleasant surprise. On well, that good. One. All right. Next up, we have the early November, their album, The Room's Too Cold. And yeah, what do you think about this one? Um, I, I think uh, jumping back to my assessment of one of the previous ones as being a band that like probably thinks that they sound heavier than <laughs> is actually the case. <laughs> I have a sort of similar assessment of this one, but more specifically, the, this seems like a band that like feels like they're very serious. Okay, um, this is a very like like this is a band that self-consciously believes that they are in their more mature phase of okay. songwriting um whilst simultaneously making music that sounds like hawthorne heights or maybe <laughs> like at at best like alexis on fire you know okay. but also and i mean even like i think that they are um and i mean like i'm gonna get deported if i say that i don't like that band but i would say that there are things that I don't love about Alexis on Fire. Okay. Um, but that I think that, yeah, but that they are bands that I, I truly do, do think have a lot of like skill and talent behind them and that there are a lot of things that they do well. But one of the reasons that I've always struggled vibing with it is because it does feel very, um, very serious in a way that i do not think is necessarily deserved like i don't think that they have the gravity in what they are making artistically to okay. be as self-serious as they appear to me to me from okay. the outside um and and i definitely get that the vibe from this the you know the the kind of like seedy motel room or you know uh kind of rundown 1970s home decor sort of aesthetic and the shadowy girl figure standing in front of the mirror like i get that it's supposed to look very introspective and you know like this is you know th this is punk music that's about you know like getting into your mind you know um, yeah. <laughs> but but yeah i i feel like it's gonna sound like like hawthorne heights to me you know like cut okay. my wrist and black my eyes sound <laughs> Okay, this is yeah. something that produces results by the early November. The name also, having a month in your name? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, you were right on the bottom of the song. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I mean, um, as someone my age, um, although I've never listened to this band, I've listened to this band. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely, like, right around the era that I was... Yeah, exactly. Like right around the era that I was really starting to get into music was definitely sort of the height of like bands with the name of a month in their name um, era. And <laughs> and yeah, that's what all of that sounded that's like. That's what they all sounded like. Okay, next up we got Homegrown Kings of Pop. Uh, this this band looks like they have a member who's been canceled. Uh, I don't know whether that, <laughs> I, that is I the case. I would not be surprised. I don't know for sure, that's... but I bet they have. <laughs> But the, like that's that's what really sticks out to me. I mean, um, <laughs> the grills obviously, but like something about this definitely smacks of like a band who maybe like make jokes relating to like hip hop that they don't realize are as problematic <laughs> as they are. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but I feel like musically, I imagine it just sounding like either the like kind of brand new school of things, or maybe more so the like founds of Wayne or Weezery school of things. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know. It, it definitely sounds like a band who, if they don't have a member who's actively canceled, they are, people are having a discourse about how their lyrics <laughs> seem a lot more misogynistic in 2020 <laughs> than when they got into them. Okay. All right. This is yeah. Kiss Me, Diss Me by Homegrown. Even that Can't title, I feel like, is problematic. Name. Yes. <laughs> Very. <laughs> This riff is good, but it still sounds canceled. Right. Yeah, there's sure the lyrics are canceled if I remember correctly. Yeah. There's a slight stank on the guitar. Yeah, on that, on that riff. Oh, exactly. That canceled vibe. Yeah, the the stank of being called to task and held accountable. <laughs> 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 So he says that you're just one of those oh, yes. troubled girls <laughs> using me for everything but love. Yeah, I feel like I, <laughs> I, I don't want to say it before you guys say it, but I feel like I was on the mark with this one again also. Yeah. I think... Oh yeah, this chorus also is like very on point. I also think I might have heard, uh, heard the lyric... Uh, uh, did he say... Yeah, let's pull up, yeah, pull up the lyrics here for a second. I'm trying to remember now. I think that the lyric just before the ones that you came in on, Alex, okay. the one that that stuck out to me is like, so, oh, yeah. I, I don't want to sit next to you. I can't believe you called me so soon. Don't try to justify what you did to me. You're just one of those yeah, that, troubled... That's, that's the one? Okay. That's the one. Don't, don't try to justify what you did to me seems like the if i had to like write what i thought the thesis for this band was, <laughs> that seems you know um yeah there's, those it, are some really the, the second verse he yes. says i can't believe i did it all for nothing now i'm bitter i can't take no more don't blame this on your bad childhood that doesn't justify what you oh, did no. to me <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah this, Canceled. Uh, it's funny someone needs to say <laughs> very it's it's funny that you zeroed in on that part because just before you read it, I was gonna say that like this really has a like bitter after breakup energy. Right. Is yeah. yeah. <laughs> the last one here we got Dave Malillo or Malilo um, with his EP "Talk Is Cheap." 
So this this cover art um, and font, as well as just the man's name, I mean, I assume that this is their, uh, this or person's name, I should say. Um, I assume that this is their actual legal name. I would but, assume so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I figure. But uh, why, I, why I mention that is because their name, um, to me, goes very much with the cover art in that they <laughs> suggest to me someone who was in like screamo bands who is trying to start a career as a as a folk artist. Um, <laughs> oh, like, okay. It, it okay. definitely has uh, like I, I'm I'm imagining it sounding maybe like City and Color kind of. Um, <laughs> I mean, definitely that V neck had. Uh, the energy that I just described. Yeah, the, the V-neck in oh, right here. When you Google that, yeah, that like that that has very strong. Um, I Played mean, in like that a Christian also, screamo band. Exactly, and I mean uh, tying back to the previous band, that image also does have strong like uh, person who has allegations against them energy. But, uh, <laughs> okay. <yeah. laughs> All right. Um, yeah, let's let's say, take a listen. This is Knights of the Island Counter, which is an idiotic name. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess that's supposed to be like a Dungeons and Dragons joke. Ah, uh, okay. Like, well, that's why it went over my yeah. head. Then let's get to out of the intro here. <laughs> oh yeah. Now, I was I googled him because I think you may be actually right that he was in some sort of really hard band before or maybe after this, yeah. but like I, I don't know how I don't know how you do that, but okay. <laughs> this sounds like especially these He's supposed to be like the next dashboard confessional is how drive through kind of build him. Yeah, oh. absolutely. I can see that for sure. Or even like um this definitely has some like taking back Sunday energy. A little bit, and definitely yeah. not quite as heavy as that, but yeah. For sure. More like vocally. I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, hmm. There's, I'm trying, I'm like, I'm, I'm grasping at the 13 year old version of myself in my head because like there's a song just on the tip of my brain that uh, the, that that really really reminded me of and i'm just trying to like coax it out of my brain but i <laughs> can't quite but but i mean maybe that uh maybe that says it all that like you know it it sounds forgettable like a, uh well it, it sounds <laughs> like a a like a half forgotten musical memory from when i was 13. okay <laughs> nice Okay, well, I think overall what this taught me is that I know nothing about aesthetic. I also taught me that I'm a huge <laughs> poser because I didn't recognize at least half the bands you mentioned in your in your analyses of these things. We're just so. coming from different worlds. It's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. So before we wrap this up, uh, thank you this for your thoughtful fun. responses. This was a lot of fun. Uh, if you're into non-thoughtful responses and being urged to suck on Caterpillar's dicks, please sub, uh, follow him at... Please. Uh, live on Marfin on Twitter. Marfin, is there anything else that you want to plug or anything else you want to uh, shout out here at the end? No, I think that that just about covers it. Um, I mean, you've you've encapsulated my <laughs> my Twitter vibe perfectly. <laughs> I I do believe that's maybe what I got banned for originally, but I'm I'm still uh, staying strong, keeping on brand. Absolutely, um, yeah. So yeah still yeah, find me a live on Marfin. Okay. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah, I'll be posting some more soon. I'm sure. Perfect. All right, good. Well, thank good. you both guys for having me. It's it's great to actually be able to chat with you properly for real. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Especially after chatting with you guys at, at length, you know, separately online for a long time. It's, it's great to actually, uh, you know, put, I mean, I've seen what you guys look like, but to like <laughs> properly put a face to the names, you know, and, and yeah. names. It's, it's great. So thank you very much for having me on. I, this is a lot of fun. And Absolutely. Yeah, thank, thank you so Martin. much for being here. Yeah. Hey, of course. Yeah. I'm, you know, anytime.